Amen, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? It's good to see you this morning. My name is Eric. I'm one of our pastors. So glad that you've come to worship this morning with us. Um, so here, quick question. Who's completely done with all of your Christmas shopping? Amen. Thank you. Oh, it's just two of you. Well, you guys don't count then because all the rest of us are not. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, you know, marching forward towards the time where we get to celebrate that with friends and family and, and all of that. Well, we, we're so grateful you're here. We're so thankful to be able to be in a series called The Christmas Dilemma. We're going to kind of hear a different angle from Pastor Steve and also an innkeeper. We got an innkeeper this morning who's going to give us a bit of his perspective on the coming of Jesus Christ. So we're looking forward to that. Um, at this time, if you would do me a quick favor, if you would just say hello to just a couple people around you, and we'll continue with our worship in just a minute. Once again, across Middle Tennessee and parts of Kentucky, we have seen the devastation of what nature can do, the tornadoes that have wreaked havoc to many communities, and you may have been doing as I was doing last night, watching to see that storm as it continued to uh, go across the northern tier of our state. I was watching as they were reporting and they just, uh, you could hear and sense the uh, urgency in the voices of those who were trying to forecast where the path of the tornado was gonna go and you could see through the weather radar how that tornado seemed to be just touching down in different places. And I sat there, and as I watched, I was just sad knowing the potential of loss of life, especially well, more than anything else of the danger that that caused, and knowing that homes were going to be destroyed and businesses were going to be affected. And as it continued to move across, heading towards Hendersonville, you know, knowing that my brother's house and him and his wife was right in the path of that thing. Their house was fine, but just within a quarter of a mile, the Bluegrass Country Club was hit. And then other members of our family that were in that path, and maybe you have or know some folks who have been devastated by that. It's important that we, at a time like this, pause. Just in awe, really, of what takes place, knowing that this world in its present state is groaning until the time that the Lord comes back. This is evidence of that. When we do all of this here and we're anticipating that time when history is being fulfilled and the King of Kings returns and there won't be any more devastation like we have witnessed and like people have awakened to this morning many 
they kept saying people were waking up to see the damage. No, many of them never went to sleep last night because they had no place. So I want us to pause just for a moment, just in the quietness and the stillness of this time that we worship together, and we'll do other things. We'll laugh and we'll sing and we'll do other things. But at this moment, let us just be quiet and be still. And then I'll pray and ask God to bless what folks are dealing with this morning as people will reach out. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, as so many, not just here in our part of the world that we live in, but this happens on a constant basis in places around the country and the world. Maybe not necessarily by weather-related episodes that seem to do so much damage in such a short period of time. But even in man-made situations where there's evil that exists and people are hurting each other and destroying life. and Father, in this time that we are able to be in this safe place, in this warm place, in this place where all of us are just are, are, are anticipating a time of worship, let us be mindful that there are many people, including those within just miles of our location, that are hurting. Hurting because they lost loved ones in a storm. Hurting because they've been injured and in physical needs that they have. And we, we want to lift them up that you provide healing in their lives. Father, also emotional hurt of loss of property and, and, and things that people have worked for all of their life and within seconds it's destroyed and strewn across a, a landscape. So, Father, we, we, we pause to ask that you speak into their lives. And, and as our community will come together, may, may there be a sense of hope for mankind as we speak and help people in their time of need that is only reflected because of the love and the help and the hope that's found through Jesus Christ. May you use this occasion to draw people closer to you, to discover of the great need that life is so fragile and it could end in a moment. And in that time, there's only one hope that's found in Jesus Christ. We pray that that somehow would be this message, not just at Christmas time, but in times like this. We look to you through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to bring comfort and healing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Sin and error, 
this morning. Lord, reflecting on that wonderful night, that holy night, Lord, that hope was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Where this morning as we lift up that baby's name, Lord, let us remember that they got all the extra things that we do around the season are just, just that. They're just extra. But God, the true core of Christmas is the gift that you gave us through your son, Jesus. And we're so grateful for that this morning. Today, God, as we celebrate this Advent season, let everything that we do glorify you. Lord, just like the wise men did of old, Lord, let us follow the star that leads to the, the child that gives us hope in this world for eternity. We love you today. We love your son, Jesus. It's in his name today that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. while they were there, the time came for her, that is Mary, to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloth, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him in the inn. <laughs> Simply incredible. Nothing but people all day. Caesar's decree for the census sure has been a profitable one. Economy has never seen better days. It's simply a miracle. Speaking of miracles, there was this couple came by late tonight. Just can't seem to shake the memory they made on me. The girl, she's more tired than a woman should ever be. And all she wanted was just a place to rest. But I had nothing. The husband pleading with such desperation. What kind of businessman gives pause to that? What kind of businessman makes a decision based off emotion instead of numbers? Bethlehem was packed. It wasn't my fault. That's where the book would have closed on this evening if it not been for my, my dear, sweet wife. That jab in my ribs with her fingers made me rethink my position on things. I knew I clearly had two options. Option one, find a place for them to sleep. Option two, find myself a place to sleep. You know, my wife, Estelle, she noticed something I just, I didn't pick up on. The woman, she was pregnant. There was no way I could leave him out in the cold that night. But the barn was all I had. They were grateful. You know, there's a word that comes to mind when I think of those two, and it's a quirky word word we don't really use much anymore. Holy. Seems to be the only word that fits. They say the baby, he's the Messiah. The one that's going to change everything. 
Is he really the one we've been waiting for all this time? You know, in my life, disbelief has paralyzed me. Maybe this was finally my chance to, to believe. Bethlehem will be waking soon, and people are going to run to fill their bellies and register for the census. People all in their own little worlds, nobody knowing that a Savior has entered the world. What have I done to deserve to see the Messiah born? You know, despite all that, the streets are just filled with a sense of, of peace, celebration, and hope. Yeah, hope. I don't think we really realized we had lost it until now. It's just that, though. Out of all the places in the world, God chose my place to bring hope into the world. I'm not a worthy man, but I sure am a grateful one. My wife, Estelle, I haven't seen her this happy in years. And for me, there's always going to be things to buy and sell. But all this, it's given me a, a new kind of heart. A heart that believes. Oh, what a holy night. been in a series where we've been looking at some real-life stories of people that were involved in that first Christmas. Choices like was depicted here this morning that made a, presented itself as a dilemma. A dilemma, as we've talked about, is a situation where a difficult choice has to be made between two or more alternatives, especially equally undesirable ones. If you have to make a decision, and different characters involved in the Christmas story find themselves in various dilemmas. Maybe you've had one this past week of some nature. A choice that you had to make, maybe an undesired choice. We all have them from time to time, and if we have had one that has really caused a lot of consternation in our life, we would really somewhat understand the position that both Mary and Joseph were placed in when they had to make some incredible choices uh, where they would have to choose between what God wanted them to do or carry out their own agenda, their plan. No part of their choices was easy. Nonetheless, they were obedient and trusted God for what He had planned for their lives. And even the Christmas character of what we watched this morning, he was placed in a dilemma of a choice. The Gospel of John, there's an interesting summary verse that seems to allow 
us to wonder about a choice that this innkeeper had to make, or multiple choices maybe, as well as other people within the Bible that had to make choices. And I love how John has this to say that looks at Jesus's life and says, basically, he did so many things, there's no way that we know everything there is to know. So there's an alluding to the other things that he did. Watch this. In John chapter 21, verse 25, now there are many other things that Jesus did. Where were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And while John and other gospel writers of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give interesting snippets of Jesus' life from different scenes and, and, and different events that he was involved in while he was here, living out his days with many different people and places and, and encounters. Certainly not all the details were listed in those accounts, and, and many were never even recorded, as John testifies to. Oh, how I wish they had been. Have you ever just thought of, wondered, man, what happened with the, Jesus in this situation? I wish there was more to the story. Like, we don't know what happened to Joseph. Wouldn't it be neat to know that if there had been some other recordings about him and how he lived his life? Or, or what about Jesus' childhood? What was his interaction, his relationships with his brothers and sisters? Wouldn't that have been interesting to know if, if little brother and sister were having cat fights and Jesus stepped in and what would he have done? Did he join in? Probably not. Did he try to play the parent? Who knows? But it would be interesting to know those things or the follow-up that he had with those who had received miracles of healing and even those that had witnessed the healing itself. It would be interesting to know how people responded to that and how they lived their life after they had received this miracle from God. I mean, I'd really like to know, what did Pilate think after he had condemned Jesus to death, had him crucified, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes back to life? What would Pilate be saying about that, you know? Hey, Pilate, we demand your resignation. You know, you, you, you can't even carry out a crucifixion like you're supposed to. We need to... No, we don't know any of those things, and it would be interesting to know. And while we don't have accounts and facts about things like this, it does not mean that there were many other things that happened throughout the Bible. And it does not mean that we cannot wonder or imagine... And think about what might have taken place in those details of Jesus' life that we, don't, that we don't have. It's okay, I think, to imagine. And maybe even infer what we do know based on what we, has been preserved throughout history. And what history tells us of how things were at that time when the Bible was, was real, uh, was, was acted out and those things happened. We, we do know many of the details about Jesus' birth. 
Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, gives us uh, just enough to, to stir our imaginations about the time when Jesus made his first arrival on Christmas morning, the first one. No doubt, you're familiar with how Luke records that unusual and beautiful night, but let's read it again. It's always good to refresh ourselves with the story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with, his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We have a lot of detail here in this recorded birth narrative where Luke describes the, the time in history and and situates it between uh, in, in a time and place that is real. It happened when Quirinius was governor of Syria. It goes on to say, as he picks out and, and, and recalls places on the map like Syria and Galilee and Nazareth, Judea and Bethlehem, real places, specific places that you can actually go to and, ver and verify and travel to today. And then we find out about a census, a taxation that was underway because of a decree that's been issued by the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus. Luke even spe uh, specifies the names of the people beyond Caesar Augustus who, who, are, who are part of the story, real people. Quirinius, David, Joseph, Mary, and the firstborn son, the son, the same one that the angel talked about, sang about, told others about, named Jesus, as we discover in the previous chapter. Luke even gives us specifics about what Mary did after the birth. It says she wrapped him in swaddling clothes or cloths, and laid him in a manger. Why? Because of this really important detail. There was no room for them where they'd ask for room. This is one of the places, really, when you stop and think about this, where I think it's kind of interesting to infer and wonder and dream and consider some of the parts that we don't have information about like reading between the lines. So many in our church are familiar with a guy by the name of John Trout. John's not been able to be at our church 
uh, in person for many years now because of, of his illnesses. And in fact, he was just recently moved from Radnor Towers over into East Tennessee, closer to his uncles, and is in the hospital there and, and dealing with some very serious issues. But when, when John was active, and John was coming to church on a regular basis, John Drought could come up with the most interesting questions of anyone that I know. Him and Pete Mosley is able to do that as well. And usually questions like, let's see if we can stump the pastor, sort of deal, you know? And John would come up with these interesting things. It was like his mind was constantly wondering about things he would read in the Bible, and he couldn't wait to come on a Wednesday night or in a life group on Sunday morning to see who has the answer to this question? And it was always interesting questions, had this ability to challenge what may or may not have happened. I think it's healthy to do that, to stay curious about what we read in the Bible, to maybe even think about this innkeeper, I mean, there had to be someone who answered the door that night at the inn, right? It makes all the sense in the world to acknowledge that uh, just because... Well, let me back up and say this. Did you know that the innkeeper really is never mentioned in the Bible? He's not. Now, I have a confession to make. Until I started preparing, until I started preparing for this sermon, I never realized that. I just sort of assumed that the innkeeper was listed as one of the characters because we have so become accustomed to the innkeeper. Maybe there was one that night. Most likely, probably there was. I mean, somebody had to take care of the inns of the time. Somebody had to answer the questions like, how did Mary and Joseph know that the end was full? Someone had to answer that, right? I mean, they didn't just show up and start going through the end and open doors and say, oh, uh, sorry, we didn't mean to disturb you. Or we go from this room to this room and or maybe in, in the floors of the different places or whatever the end was like we'll talk about in just a minute. Someone must have said someone must have directed them toward the stable it's always been alluded to and inferred that there was an innkeeper of some nature but interesting enough this this nativity set that we have has joseph and mary it has the shepherds has the wise men, which is kind of interesting that they don't come along until a couple of years later. They have the animals, but what's missing? The innkeeper. How many of you have nativity sets at home? Let me see your hands. A good number. Do you have them out? Yeah? Do you have an innkeeper? No? No? But there were innkeepers in that day. So it's logical to think that there probably was an innkeeper. I mean, let's just kind of look back at 
One of the stories that Jesus told, remember, the story of the Good Samaritan and how a man was beat up by robbers and left on the side of the road to die and the holy men kind of walk by and just leave him on the side of the road and then someone by the, who's a, a Samaritan comes along and, and picks him up and gets in and starts uh, taking him to someone. Who did he take him to? The innkeeper to take care of his needs. So we know from Jesus' A parable about the Good Samaritan. There must have been innkeepers. We know based on kind of what's taken place in history that there were likely innkeepers and likely there was an innkeeper that night, but we don't know his name. We don't know any other facts about him. I mean, I, I think in the script that was portrayed this morning, the name Stuart was used. What was the, what was the wife's name? Stella, what? Estelle. Is that it? Estelle? Estella. Okay. Doesn't sound like a Jewish name to me. <laughs> so I was thinking maybe I ought to name the innkeeper. Like, I think his name is Stuart in the, in the script. I like Curtis. I don't know why. I just think Curtis sort of fits the innkeeper, okay? So I'm going to refer him to Curtis. To our innkeeper is Curtis, all right? We don't know anything about Curtis. Maybe it was him that opened the door. Maybe it was him that was interacting with the soon-to-be parents who had showed up at the door carrying the Son of God. And maybe Curtis... Maybe just by inference, he is a part of the story. Maybe you've heard this story before about an innkeeper. Uh, if you've been here for a while, I've used it before. It was a Sunday school class putting on a Christmas pageant, which included the story of Mary and Joseph coming to the end. One boy wanted so badly to become Joseph, but when the parts were handed out, another boy got the part instead. And, and so he, uh, he, that boy who wanted Joseph's part so badly, was assigned to become the innkeeper. He was pretty upset about all this and had no response or no occasion to really talk to anybody throughout the whole play, but he came in, he practiced his part. During the rehearsals, he thought about, what could I do on the night of the play, the performance, to get even with this rival who got his part? What could I do? And finally, the night of the performance comes, and Mary and Joseph come walking across the stage. They knock on the door at the end, and the innkeeper opened the door and asked them gruffly, gruffly what they wanted. And Joseph answered, said, we'd like to have a room for the night. And suddenly, the innkeeper just threw open the door and said to him, just come in and take any room you want. And for a few seconds, little Joseph, he didn't know what to do. Thinking quickly on his feet, he looked inside the door past the innkeeper and said, no wife of mine is going to stay in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, let's go to the barn. Pretty cute story, right? 
Once again, the <laughs> plague was on track and never missed a lick. Whether or not the innkeeper was gruff or accommodating, someone had to tell him that there was no room. And somebody figured out something that night in Bethlehem when Joseph and Mary came knocking on that door when her water was about to break and show them to a place where they could stay. That inn, I mean, we picture it being like a, maybe not a grand hotel like the ones downtown Nashville. Maybe more like a Motel 6 or something. I don't know. No slam on Motel 6, but it's not a grand hotel like you see downtown. Very likely it was, has been described in throughout history of maybe, maybe it was like what it was in Old Testament days where it was a walled off area in, in an open kind of, uh, the sky was above and might have been within a, a cave system with rocks around or um, where just you could go in and, and corral your animals and there'd be like a gatekeeper there would be like the innkeeper. Uh, that was sort of the Old Testament times and his uh, life sort of progressed and we get more into a time of the New Testament. There would be this area possibly that not only could the livestock stay in this place, but maybe right outside of this perimeter of, of where the animals stayed, there would have been rooms built up where the guests could stay uh, quite possibly. It was an inn where the a family actually lived and animals would be sort of inside the house like they would have their section of a house and the, the, it would be all real close together and so we, we don't know exactly whatever it was but whatever type of place it was Mary and Joseph were told we don't have any room for you I think it was said by Stuart over here it says I got nothing got nothing for you the inn was full, but stable. We can make room for you to bed down there. And this is going to be the place where a baby would be born. We don't know all these facts. We have a sense about it. We know that when the baby was born... He was placed in a manger. Now, in our little nativity set that was given to us by missionaries from the Philippines more than 40 years ago that we have displayed every year, uh, we have a figurine of the baby here placed in this nicely designed carved out piece of wood that nice straw all around it looks very nice but it's so sanitary nothing like it really was in real life 
For that manger that Jesus was placed in was nothing more than a feeding trough. No nice straw per se. Most likely just pieces of straw like, like stubble where the animals that had been eating out of it left after they chewed it up and left little pieces in that, in that feeding trough. Just eating it. Think about it. You really put your mind to thinking through this. This this maybe trough of probably made out of stone had cows and camels, sheep. Sheep are nasty. Anybody own any sheep in here? Probably a good reason why you don't. They're just nasty. Licking all over this manger. Getting that last bit of whatever it was they ate in that day. I've seen a tongue of a cow. Has anyone ever been licked by a cow? Their tongues are long enough that they could just wrap on this, be on this side of you and stick the end of their tongue in your ear over here. They're huge. That's what Jesus was laid in. If the hospital that our newest grandson Henry was born in had been that kind of unsanitary place, my daughter would have walked in there and said, been protesting, say, no son of mine's going to be born in this place. And rightly so. Interesting enough, from the very beginning that Jesus came into the world, he was placed in this nasty environment of a stable. His entrance into this nasty world started into a despicable place like a stable. He must have had an incredible immune system to have stayed well after being exposed to all of those germs. This is not where a newborn baby belongs, where animals eat. He could have been born any place he wanted to, his own home, a place that would have afforded all the necessities, the niceties of a king. But he wasn't. And in this story, we get a chance to see real, true history of real people who, who, who experienced real emotions and thoughts and considerations and all that was taking place. We don't have all the specifics. We can wonder, and we can contemplate without ever really knowing for sure the birth, his birth, whether or not the innkeeper had a dilemma, but I think he probably did. Do I believe all of this that I hear, that I'm seeing what they have said or not? Perhaps 
in his wonderment, in his state of determining what was true and what was happening, maybe he was able to see as the entourage of shepherds came up to his property later on that night. Maybe he noticed the star that was hanging right over where he lived. Maybe he might have even snuck out of his comfort place with his family and, and went into the stable and took a peek at, how are they doing? I mean, my wife, Estella, <laughs> punched me in the ribs, said, she's pregnant. Maybe he wanted to go check on her. Maybe he was curious enough. Is the baby born yet? Maybe he peeked in and saw Jesus was laying there in the manger. Who knows? The Bible doesn't give all that information. But I think it's probably pretty safe to say that he had no idea of the fullness of all that was happening behind the scene right there on his property. And while they were there, in his inn, in his stable, the time came for her to give birth. Now, I want you to let that reality sit in just a minute. Let it sink in. She's got to give birth away from her home. What woman... What man in his right mind would cause his wife ready to give birth to travel to an unknown place? On top of that, remember, they've only been married like nine months, officially. They've been together married, but... They're still trying to figure out all this marriage stuff. They're newlyweds. But in God's sovereignty, all of these things came. The time came, it says, for her to give birth. The right time in history came. Wasn't no any accident. Caesar Augustus was in power, a census was taken, the city was full of people, that Mary and Joseph were betrothed together, the delivery uh, was at the time that they visit Bethlehem where it was predicted that he would be born at, shepherds were out in the fields watching over their, their, their herds, and here's the innkeeper who has no clue that God was bringing us all together right at the very time that it would be accomplished at his place God planned it all and it happened at exactly the right time it's God working the apostle Paul wrote about it this way and I love the way he says it but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law, watch this, to redeem those who were under the law so that we 
might receive adoption as sons. He came. 1 John 3.8 gives more reason as to why he came. Certainly, I'm sure the innkeeper doesn't realize all this, but first, for John recognizes it. Years later, he says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Oh, can we not wait until we see that happen so we don't see devastation in people's lives like we witnessed today and like has been witnessed throughout all time now that the prince of this world is in control but there's going to come a day when he's not and we long for that the advent of Jesus the Messiah was a declaration of war on the devil himself and that first cry of the Christ child the night of the, in the hum of the city of David was it was a warning it was a shot as described heard around the world that the kingdom of darkness would be coming to an end. The innkeeper probably didn't have a full scope of all of that. That light had started shining through the darkness. And life would come into the world. And victory was on the horizon and the works of the devil were they were in the crosshairs of the Creator. All of this was unfolding right before his eyes. We could speculate about this guy who's not even mentioned in Scripture. I mean, for someone who's not even mentioned in Scripture, he really gets a bad rap, doesn't he? Always has. I mean, how can you turn away a pregnant woman in the middle of the night? Come on, man. My little Joe Biden impression there. <laughs> Come on, man. Or when he began to hear stories about Jesus' popularity as it began to grow, grow through the community and throughout the land, did he tell his friends, hey, you know, you know that guy called Jesus who just healed a bunch of people, caused the blind man to see? The one who fed the 5,000, know all those other people on the side of the lake, you know, you know who I'm talking about? He was born in my stable. Oh, really? You're the one we heard about. You're the one that told the pregnant woman she couldn't stay in your house. I guess I should have kept my mouth shut on that one. You know, he gets a bad rap. I wonder, though, if at some point in his life, when he did hear all of those things, and I'm pretty sure if he was still alive, he very likely heard about what had happened. Then he began to wonder about who Jesus really was. Did he begin to contemplate that he truly was the Savior of the world, the Savior of himself? Would he have, had he known, would he have welcomed him into his home? Would he have tried to befriend his parents, say, I know I mistreated you that night. I'm so sorry. 
most importantly, would he have welcomed him into his heart? Hmm. It's a question we all must deal with. Because in a lot of ways, we're like this innkeeper. We have to wonder about Jesus. We have to, we have to wonder, is he truly the Son of God? Is he the Savior of the world? Is he the Savior for my life? And do I welcome him into my heart, into my home, this, this home? There is something else, though, I think it's important that we can infer from the events of the story. This innkeeper, he gave what he had. He, he, he offered what he did have. So maybe we've come to that point that we have accepted Christ into our life and we've made him the Savior. We make him at home in, in our hearts and in our lives. And the innkeeper appears to have done, we can offer him what we have. You say, well, I don't have much to give. Well, neither did he. But what did he do? He gave. He gave what he had. No matter how horrific their environment was on that historic night, he made a place for the Savior of the world. If Curtis was the innkeeper, he did what the famous Christmas carol that we love to sing tells us to do. Are you familiar with it? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And then, Maybe you'll see this line differently than ever before. Let every heart prepare him room. You're the innkeeper to create a space within your life for the Savior of the world. Let's pray. We can truly sing with enthusiasm that old Christmas care. Joy, joy to the world. Why? Because the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. And Father, I pray it's our position of every person within the sound of my voice that we have made room for Jesus. We prepared and allowed him to come into our lives. And if there's a single person here that doesn't, has not done this, that today, today, they would open up their hearts and say, Jesus, there's room for you in my life.
In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you've not ever done that, then man, today is a great opportunity to do it. Maybe you're here and there's something going on in your life that you just need to spend some time in. This is what this time is for, is for you to spend time in this altar before the Lord and take it to Him in earnest, sweet prayer. Would you do that, please? Be obedient. Stand and sing. Who has the power to raise the dead? And who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus. Who can make the blind to see? Set us free. He paid it all to bring us peace. Jesus, only Jesus. Holy King, Almighty Lord, saints and angels all adore. I join with them and bow. It's just been good to be in this place of worship today. To sing songs of praise. To declare that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And only you, only you have the power to make a difference in a world that's so dark and hurt.
hurting. And yet, the light shines through the darkness when we make room in our hearts for you. I pray we leave here in this place with that assurance, with that hope to carry it into the world that needs it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Maybe seated, please. So years ago, um, some of you know this story. We would display this in our foyer out in the other building. And back during those days, we had a preschool and a, and a school there, and hundreds of kids would be there. And and one Sunday morning, we came in, and the major was like that. Somebody had stolen Jesus. And we put out a search. We put a reward out. We stated that if someone would return Jesus, we would not press charges or there would be no punishment. And in fact, we would leave a reward for that person to have. And you know what? Jesus was returned, placed back in the manger. And we still have him today because of that. But you know, still is too many of us want to leave him in the manger and not put him in our heart where it needs to be. By the way, something interesting I learned this week was they now are making manger scenes like this where Jesus is actually attached to the stable, the, the, the manger, because people were stealing him all over the world. <laughs> So if your manger at home, your nativity scene, does not have your Jesus attached to it, you might want to consider gluing him in, making sure he's permanent. See you. Well, first of all, I didn't have anything to do with that. That would be... You may... We cannot... uh, A couple of our praise team members wanted to uh, change the, the lyrics a little bit of the song we just did instead of... Um, holy King Jesus they wanted to change it to baby Jesus but we realized that there was way too many people that had watched Ricky Bobby so it wouldn't work only you have that mentality (laughs) only you would probably watch Ricky Bobby and there are several things uh, going on here uh, still for the Christmas season Um, students that are heading with us to um, our Christmas luncheon today, um, if you don't mind, after you say your goodbyes to your families, uh, we're going to meet down in the White Building, uh, just outside the White Building, and we'll load up from there. We're heading to Chewy's today for Cool Springs. Several people are in, uh, involved and participating in the post office, the Christmas post office. So we encourage you, if uh, you haven't already done that, delivered your um, your cards. That um, there's offering envelopes out there and those monies that normally you would pay for uh, stamps to send your Christmas cards um, that'll go to the Lottie Moon International Missions Offering Um, then I do want to remind you um, we have several folks that um, love our women's Bible studies Um, some people have not jumped in for whatever reason or another uh, but I want to let you know if you're like me uh, the month of January is kind of always a, a month of new beginnings um, I'm going to re-up my 
gym membership in January, I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> You're I'm full of all sorts of funny tales today, know, aren't you? I know, I know. It'll last for like three weeks, maybe four weeks or so. But, uh, but I do want to let you know there's, a, there's an exciting women's ministry study going on um, that's only five weeks. So if you are here today and you go, man, I haven't jumped in. Those studies, they can get long, and um, we've got a lot going on with our family. This is a five-week study. Um, it looks to really be great. Um, it's by one of their favorite uh, leaders, Priscilla Shire. It's called Breathe, and uh, it's just uh, encouraging you to create a little margin in your life. And I can tell you in January is a great time after the month of December for us to do that. So um, if you want some information on that, there's several options, Tuesday at 7, Wednesday at 6, and then Wednesday at 1. Uh, those Bible study books, uh, you can sign up for that in the lobby, see Lynn or any of our ladies in our women's ministry. And um, they're $13, and they'd be glad to sign you up to be a part of that. So Christmas Eve, we invite you to come. We will have normal worship. Christmas Eve is on Sunday this year. We will have normal worship at 10 o'clock, like we normally do. We will not have life groups that day, just worship at 10. And then we invite you back at, at 5 o'clock for our Christmas Eve communion service. You, this has become a tradition with so many families, and we invite you to come and, and be a part of that. And invite friends and your, neighbor, and your neighbors to come. Uh, it's a, usually about 45 minutes on, at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and it's well attended, and it's a great opportunity for our church to show up and, and love on this community. So we invite you to, to those two services, 10 o'clock Christmas Eve, 10, uh, 5 o'clock for a Christmas Eve communion service. And then the following Sunday... Uh, and this will be news to the deacon body, so we will be having New Year's Eve services at 10 o'clock on New Year's Eve Sunday. No life groups that Sunday morning also, but we will have worship at 10 o'clock on New Year's Eve, okay? So and for your holiday planning, please include those services in that time and spending time to worship our Lord, okay? Yeah, something? Um, wouldn't mind just praying for uh, Daniel and I as we leave this midweek to go to Rogersville for a missions journey to eastern Tennessee. I know that many of you have been not only supportive of that, but aware that we're going to be doing these mission journeys. And uh, we get to also go along with the church at Harpeth Heights to the Appalachian area and to the two poorest counties in our state to be able to just love on families who are under-resourced and um, in some difficult situations. And so even our own church has gathered and put together just things that have been in the lobby, you know, like stuffed animals and socks. And our ministry team, that's uh, Friday Friends, they put together care packages for our home visits that, that we're going to be doing throughout those three days that we're going to be there. But would you just pray for our time to have gospel conversations, obviously just safety there and back for the teams, and uh, that I'd be able to come back and, you know, hopefully report like, hey, here's where God's hand had showed up for that, and that you guys could just continue to cover us in prayer. Appreciate that and I want to teach you just as we leave a Greek word can I give a Greek word to you it's actually the word in but it's not in it's kaleo kalema kalema and it's guest room and it shows up in two places in the New Testament one is in this spot that we just talked about in the nativity scene the other one is at the Passover so if you put those two together Jesus is always looking for your room in, in your heart he's always wanting to possess your heart and the question I think Pastor Steve had given so boldly in the sermon today is he doesn't want just the guest room. He wants the whole house. 
So the whole deal is this, this Advent season, be really taking inventory of your life and your heart. Let Jesus have the entirety of your life and you'll just see some wonderful things just like the innkeeper probably was able to witness um, those kinds of things. So with that, I think it's time for us to go. So you guys have a great Sunday. God bless you and be safe as you travel. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of our pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person, we would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.